Hi there and welcome to the Mental Training Podcast in Norwegian and the Mind Coaching Podcast for international listeners. You can find this episode uh, on the Mental Training Podcast on iTunes if you're Norwegian. And if you're an international listener, you can find the Mind Coaching Podcast also on iTunes. In this episode, I speak to Joe Navarro. Joe Navarro has worked 25 years at the, uh, at the FBI as a special agent in the area of counterintelligence and behavioral assessment. I really looked forward to this episode with Joe because uh, he revealed how he um, spotted us by from how he hold his uh, cigarette. Ooh, that was so exciting to hear. That is also uh, what his new book is all about. Uh, Joe is a best-selling author from the book What Everybody is Saying, which has been translated into 29 languages. And the Louder Than Word, which was the Wall Street Journal acclaimed as one of the six best business books to read for your career in 2010. Joe is uh, today is working as uh, one of the world's leading experts in non-verbal communications, lectures and consults with major corporations worldwide. He's a professor at the St. Leo University and frequent lecturers at the Harvard Business School. In today's episode, we talk about how uh, we choose a partner, how a mother revealed her son without knowing it, Joe really remembered this story, for sure, as you can hear in uh, in the episode. Behavior that stands out for psychopaths and murderers. How a shaky hand will us by. Can you see if someone is lying and what you should look for? Signs that your partner do not love you anymore. That was really exciting to hear. Uh, what part of the body is most honest and lots more. From what you can hear from this uh, introduction, my English isn't always the best, but... My English isn't the best, but it is uh, the guest that is speaking the most, and I really believe that you will get a lot of the, out of this episode. So, just one thing to say, and that is, welcome, Joe Navarro. So, uh, you came to the US yeah. as an immigrant. Uh, was it because you couldn't the language, you started reading body languages? So, I, you know, some of it, you know, we... But I think we all do uh, uh, naturally. We look at the world uh, depending on our needs. I started to look at the world a little differently because I came to America as an immigrant, or actually as a refugee, and uh, and I didn't speak the language. So I, for whatever the reason, I had a sense at a very early age that body language was actually very authentic that it was very real, that it, it tended to be accurate as to what people were thinking or feeling. And, uh, and so I pursued that. And then uh, in college, I, I tried to read everything that I could on the subject. But in the 1970s, um, there was maybe one or two books on nonverbal communications. It was, it was a total empty field that had been neglected. And so I started... Uh, doing my own research, uh, keeping my own notebooks, which I still have, of uh, of observations, and uh, and that's really how I started. Well, as I said, I, I came to the United States uh, a, a, as a refugee because I was fleeing Cuba uh, when the communists took over, and um, you know, 
I didn't speak English, and so I was forced to to rely on the only language that I felt was uh, was very accurate, and that is the the body language. But how did you tra- transition this into working for the FBI, then, Joe? Well, when I was in college, I was approached by the FBI um, and was asked to apply. I didn't. Uh, I didn't intend for this. Um, somehow, either one of my professors or someone I knew had told them that uh, perhaps I had a talent for this, and um, and I was asked to become an agent. It's and then you know once you're in the FBI, you realize that mostly what you're doing is interviews and interviews is all about uh, body language. Uh, uh, how much of uh, our language is body language then, Joe? Well, it really depends on the situation. I mean, probably <laughs> it's it's an interesting thing. The more important the event, uh, the more of it that relies on body language. I'll give you two examples. You know, how we select our mates or you know who we pick to marry is not based on their curriculum vitae it's not based on a resume it's not based on their words it's based on how they look how they smell how they feel how we feel when we're around them uh are they tall are they short are they Are they blonde? Do they have green eyes? All these things are, are nonverbals. And then the other second thing that is perhaps even more important than mate selection is how we take care of babies. When babies are born, the next generation, uh, they're not born speaking. They can't say, I'm wet. They can't say, you know, I have uh, an upset stomach. They reveal these things nonverbally. And so I always find it interesting that the most important things in life uh, are relegated to our most accurate uh, means of communication, and that is nonverbal communication. I have read your book, uh, Joe. Uh, and in the beginning of the book, uh, you're talking about uh, a mother that uh, wanted to hide her son uh, because he was a criminal. Uh, yes. Do you uh, remember that story? Oh, of course. Uh, I'll never, I'll never forget it because I almost got killed. <laughs> Did you? Uh, uh, <laughs> I didn't uh, know that. Well, yeah, because you know, I, I we the the suspect had actually shot a. Uh, a uh, policeman in another state and so he became a federal fugitive and the FBI uh, investigated those those cases and um, so we went to the 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 house of the mother and um, as, as I said in the story um, she answered all my questions and she was at the door But when I asked her, you know, does is it possible that your son is coming in while you're at work and maybe he's here and you don't know? It? Hmm. She immediately covered her neck with her hand. Now, she hadn't done this 
well, you know, when I when I asked her, have you seen your son, uh, you know, and then when I so I asked the question a little later again and I said, well, is it possible he's hiding in the house and you just don't know it? And once again, her hand came up uh, uh, to to her neck. And it was at that point that I said to my partner, I, you know, I, I think there's something uh wrong here because, uh, well, I didn't explain this to him, obviously, but I knew that we cover our necks when something is very seriously wrong. So I, I said, well, just so that we can leave here and leave you alone, I said, do you, do you mind if we search the house? And, uh, and she said, uh, go ahead. And that's, and that's where I could have been killed because when I searched the house, her son was hiding in the closet. Uh, it was almost like that scene in E.T. where he's hiding <laughs> in the closet and he has all these um, uh, uh, bears and animal uh, covering him. So he, uh, you know, and, and, and that's exactly what he was doing. He had, he had taken some, uh, uh, some of these uh, stuffed animals and covered himself, but he could have easily had a gun. And, uh, and I, unfortunately, at the time, didn't have my, uh, my vest on. So um, I, I, I could have <laughs> been killed and, and thus not being, been able to tell this story. But yeah, I, I'll never forget that story. Uh, I, 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 can still, um, I can still see her um, as she's covering her neck. And I, I, can, I can remember the, the flowery dress um, uh, that 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 she was wearing that day. <laughs> that was that was more than forty years ago. Wow! So uh, it, it was an intense moment. I understand. Yeah, yeah, obviously, obviously. Pretty <laughs> intense for me, you know. The you know on television, you, you see FBI agents, and they look you know almost me mechanical. I, I I can tell you, I was shaking. I was just. So nervous. <laughs> One thing I've been wondering, uh, Joe, uh, for yeah. order, can you? Can you read if somebody is a psychopath or uh, or, or a killer on their uh, on their uh, behavior? I think that's that's a stretch. I think that's very difficult. I I have interviewed psychopaths, and there is a couple of things that that do stand out, and that is that when you when you talk about horrific things, terrible things, um, they have what's called a flat affect. In other words, their emotions tend to be uh, very low. So you'll hear something uh, like this uh, from, from a psychopath, um, uh, even as a self-report. They'll, they'll say, well, I entered the house and, uh, and uh, this... This woman, she she stupidly got in my way, so uh, of course I had to kill her. Uh, but then, you know, I was there an hour and and uh, I was hungry, so I had to eat something. <laughs> and, and, and this is actually from uh, from the case of the BTK killer. You can go online and, and and as you listen to this, you notice that the voice and the tempo. So the, the voice and the tempo are nonverbals. They're not words. 
It never changes. They talk about eating and being hungry at the same level as killing someone where, you know, if you... That's insane. <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, I, I, the, the other day I, I, I almost stepped on my dog's tail. I still feel bad about that. <laughs> <laughs> these, these people, wow. they don't. And so because their prefrontal cortex is under aroused, they have this sort of flatness to them. And so when you interview them, they can be very charming, very engaging. But you notice that it's inappropriate. It's inappropriate for the topic that's being discussed, such as somebody's suffering. And, uh, and so uh, not so much the words, but their tonality, uh, their affect, um, you can certainly uh, uh, pick up on that. But how do you experience it as an uh, interviewer, Joe? When you see that a person isn't responding and you understand that this person is uh, far out <laughs> on, uh, on the human side, how do you experience it yourself personally? Well, you know, you treat everybody the same because, you know, you are, you are by your job is to do the investigative work for the Department of Justice. And your job is to collect facts so that then you can, you know, turn them over to to a prosecutor. And so you you try not to get uh, emotional about these things. You try not to. Um, I mean, I, I I've had to sit and interview pedophiles. Uh, these these. Uh, I remember one in particular because I had a three hour drive with him. He was. Uh, th this was out in uh, in Arizona, and Arizona is very vast. And um, and uh, I picked him up at um, uh, near the Colorado River, and the drive from the Colorado River to Phoenix, where my office was, was about three and a half hours, almost four hours. And so I, I he sat there, and I'm talking to him. He's in handcuffs, but he's next to me in the car. And he's talking to me about some of the abuses that uh, one of the victims was as, as young, I think, as 18 months. It was very hard. It was it, it really took a lot of acting on my part to to sort of pretend that this doesn't shock me. You know, you, you do the best that you, you can. Obviously, you don't you know, you don't lash out. You don't get physical. But emotionally it was it was that was uh, that was very hard yeah so you have experienced some tough times in your 25 years in the fbi i understand yeah i mean, <laughs> I mean look you know being an fbi agent is a lot of fun i mean that's it, it is uh, there's no doubt about it you get to do things that people only see on television or in, in the movies but You also are investigating horrible things. And for me, the worst was anything involving children. Uh, any crimes against children were, um, were, were the most uh, uh, diff difficult uh, for me. Um, 
And, and maybe that's why I, I dedicated most of my career later to counterintelligence and catching spies because there were no children. Oh, I have, I have to ask this uh, ask about this one, <laughs> the spy stuff. What? <laughs> uh, what do you think? Uh, or can you remember if you can tell it? Can you remember an episode uh, when uh, catching a spy that uh, that uh, reading the body language was important? Yeah, exactly. You know, as you know, uh, well, I tell that story in the book, uh, what everybody is saying, but I also, uh, this, the new book that comes out in April called uh, Three Minutes to Doomsday, that whole book is dedicated to this one espionage case. And it's, a, it's an interesting uh, case because it involves so many countries. It involved Hungary, Germany, Sweden, Italy, the United States, um, uh, Russia, uh, or what was the Soviet Union at, at, at the time. So it was an, an interesting case. But the case on my end was made when I went out to talk to an individual who was not a suspect who we thought could just provide some background information on, uh, on, on things that were happening in Germany. Uh, but uh, when I mentioned the name of, um, of Clyde Lee Conrad, an individual that was under German, uh, had been arrested by the Germans, th this man's cigarette shook in his hands. And... Um, And so I talked to him a little bit more. And when I mentioned that name one more time, his cigarette shook again. And at that point, you, you know, you, 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 you're bringing science into this and you're saying, okay, every time I mention uh, cigarettes or every time I mention uh, uh, Clyde Lee Conrad, his cigarette shakes, this is a, you know, it's almost Pavlovian, the, the Pavlov effect, what's going on here. So <laughs> Um, I went back to my supervisor and I said, I, you know, I'd like to uh, initiate an investigation on this uh, on this man. And uh, I'll never forget um, my supervisor. He's a great guy. He's a big guy. He's he, you know, he's like six, five, blonde, blue eyed. He looked like a movie star. Um, and he said, you're going to open an investigation based on a shaking cigarette. <laughs> He says, are you crazy? We're going to get fired. Says, we're going we're gonna to end up in front of Congress <laughs> testifying that we wasted the taxpayers' money because you saw a cigarette shake. And I said, uh, Jay, I, I, there's, something, there's something to this. And, you know, and, as, and as I explain in, in the book Three Minutes to, to Doomsday, that interview – led to 42 other interviews and finally the uncovering of a massive uh, espionage ring um, that totaled more than 20 years and um, and caused the arrest of um, numerous individuals uh, I think eight in total um, including uh, two Swedish doctors uh, living in uh, Gothenburg who served as um, as the, um, the 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 men that would transport the secrets between Germany, Austria, Switzerland, and uh, and Hungary? 
Yeah. Oh, I really need to read that book. <laughs> uh, I think you'll, you'll love it. You'll enjoy it because, you know, you have the benefit of being in uh, in Europe and uh, and you will recognize all the places that I went to. You know, do you, you they, they used to meet uh, the two doctors uh, and the spies would meet at uh, at, uh, at Wienerwald in uh in vienna uh right near the uh, hauptbahnhof there and uh and i can't, i always thought you know that's so cheap that's uh why didn't they meet at a nicer restaurant uh but uh, that's the nature of espionage when is the book coming out joe uh the book is out uh april 18th and um and we're excited because uh, George Clooney uh, bought the rights. Okay. Uh, Congratulations. To, to the... So yeah, thank you. So who knows? Uh, it, it may be turned into a into a movie, and uh, and no, I don't want to have anything to do with it. It's, uh, <laughs> I don't want to be in it. I, don't be... I, uh, I, I like my private life. Yeah. Uh, in your book, uh, Joe, you talk about uh, yeah. that uh, our brain has uh, three. We have three brains in some way, and we're using the limbic system. Can yeah. you elaborate on that one? Yeah. So in the 1950s, the scientists started to look at our at our brain as uh, in in evolutionary terms, and and realizing from looking at research of brains that had been damaged, that different parts of the brain had totally different functions and that there was a part of the brain, the, the more ancient part, the, the part that, that we share with, uh, with reptiles and amphibians, that, yeah, that part of the brain runs the heart, runs the... Um, uh, our desire to eat takes care of of, of those kind of rather primitive uh, things, re- responds to light, responds to touch, but absolutely does no thinking. You know, we used to think, well, the whole brain thinks. And then, uh, you know, on top of that, on, in evolutionary t- terms, is what's called the limbic system. And these are, this is an area of the brain that really um, just deals with with information as it comes in. It doesn't think about uh, the world. It reacts to the world. So when you're at a money machine at night, at an ATM machine, getting your cash and somebody's standing too close to you, it's that part of the brain that makes you look over your shoulder and wonder who's behind you. Um, it's that part of the brain that if, if you were to see a lion or a tiger would make you stop and freeze. And, and that's where the freeze response comes from. It's very, it's very fast. It's not always accurate, but it's pretty close to accurate. And, and of course, if you think about our early ancestors, um, we wanted a fast system, 
right? I mean, if, if we had to stop and think, is it a friendly lion or is it a, a not-so-friendly lion, um, we would have died out as a species. For sure. Our species would have died out. Um, so we developed this, this very quick system that when we see a threat or hear a threat or sense a threat, we freeze. And, uh, and so those people that did that got to pass on their genes those people who said, oh, it's a friendly lion, well, <laughs> they, they got eaten and they didn't get to pass on their, their genes. They're gone. So the limbic, uh, so, so behaviors that come from the limbic system tend to be very quick and tend to be universal and, and uh, they're seen all over the world and, and uh, they're very accurate. And then, of course, you have the, the neocortex or the new body, um, and that does all the high-order thinking. It does math. It does calculations. It, it's uh, you know, involved in speech and so forth. But, um, but it's the limbic system that we rely on for emotions and this is the center of emotions. And so a smile in, uh, in uh, Norway represents the same thing as a smile in the Mariana Islands in the Pacific. There is no difference. And that's because we all share this, this limbic brain that reacts to the world and doesn't think about the world. So it's uh, the limbic system that uh, you're an expert at reading then? From what I can understand. Well, well, I thank you for calling me an expert. <laughs> but as, as you know, I'm I'm in my I'm, I'm in my I guess 40th year of still studying this. Um, I learn I learn things every day, and um, and it's the the behaviors that come from the limbic system that because they're so accurate that I pay the most uh, attention to because you don't, you know, cultural uh, behaviors, for instance, the American symbol for everything is, is okay is uh, the thumbs up. Uh, well, that doesn't work in Egypt uh, where it, it, it's seen as a phallic symbol. <laughs> Did not. Um, yeah, so don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't do it in, in Egypt. That's a, that's a no-no. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah. So we, you know, so I look for the behaviors that signal what people are thinking, feeling, or desiring, and uh, and for that, the the limbic system is uh, is is very much. Uh, uh, crucial. So if you want to look at if somebody's, I think everybody's thinking about this, about this when we talk about nonverbal communication, and that is, can we see if people are lying? Yeah, well, the, the research is very clear on this. It's very difficult to detect deception um, because we, as a species, lie all the time. I mean, we lie so often um you take a look at a man's jacket right your sh your shoulders aren't that big your 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 shoulders are padded so that your shoulders are made to look bigger um when when you're <laughs> when your least favorite uncle comes to dinner 
you're you're forced to smile, <laughs> right? Uh, you uh, you know your 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 mother says to you, "Don't make that face." You're making that face because it's honest. You're saying this is terrible, but you're told, "Don't make a face." So from the time we're very young, we're taught to lie. You, I mean, think about it. Um, you cannot go to someone and say, boy, that's your baby? That's really ugly. <laughs> no, for sure. There is, there, no, no, think about it. There is no society in the world where that is permitted. And, and so lying is a tool for social survival. So because we do it so much, um, we get pretty good at it. So it's it's very difficult to detect deception, but we are pretty good at detecting what I call issues or something is wrong. And so based on our questions, when we ask people questions, they may in fact reveal, oh, I don't like the question. Well, then then that gives you an, uh, a hint as to, well, why don't you like that question? If there's, if there's nothing wrong, you know, if every other topic we've talked about, it, it's kind of like that spy. Everything else we talked about when I was talking to him about Germany and drinking and drugs and, and, uh, and the food, everything was fine. But the minute I mentioned uh, the name of the man that had been arrested, all of a sudden his face tightened up. Um, he swallowed very hard, his cigarette shook. So that's not indicative of deception, but it is indicative of there is an issue, there is a problem. And, um, and so what I tell people is don't focus on deception. Focus on when you ask a question, do you sense that something is not right? And, and if you sense that, then go ahead and ask more questions uh, because um, chances are uh, there is something uh, wrong there. Um, and you often see this in relationships where maybe you sense that your partner uh, doesn't love you uh, anymore. Um, well, that's probably based on nonverbal, so pay attention to that. What can we pay attention to then, uh, Joe? Things such as uh, they don't look at you as much anymore. Um, they avoid eye contact. Um, the 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 touching is different. It's it's not with the let's say with the full hand. It tends to be more with the ends of the fingers. Uh, there the the eyes don't light up. Uh, sort of. Uh, when you see that person, um, you, you actually don't see displays of happiness and so forth. So there's something wrong. Uh, I mean, you know, you have to be very careful because if, if you're going through a depression episode, um, you could show all these behaviors um, and it's because of what's in your mind, not because you don't love somebody. <laughs> True. But, but at the same time, like I said, it's an observation and you have to ask questions and, and, 
and so forth. But don't don't spend uh, too much time trying to detect deception, because even in the FBI, we didn't spend a lot of time trying to detect deception because we assumed that most people would not tell us everything. I mean, I know for a fact that you have never told your mother everything you've ever done. And and she probably should know everything. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, so why go there? You, you, what you have to look for is, is there information? Is it being hidden? Is there a reason for that? And uh, of what value is it to... Uh, ask more questions. Yeah, you also say something about our most uh, honest places on the body, so our legs. Can you elaborate on that one, uh, Joe? Yes. So m- most people assume that um, it's th- it's the face that is the most accurate part of our bodies, but in fact, our faces are often trained to to give fake information. So, um, you know, you see someone that maybe you don't like, uh, but you still have to smile in in, in a public meeting. You still have to say hello and and so forth. But um, your limbic system is already reacting to, to anybody that makes you uncomfortable. And and in furtherance of that, it will begin to instruct the legs to do something. So, you know, you see this at parties. The, you you find yourself looking at somebody coming in and saying, oh, hello, but your feet are turning away from that person. And the fact that the feet turn away uh, uh, from from people that, that we don't like is extremely accurate. And... Uh, you certainly see it uh, when you when you get on top of a very tall building. Your limbic brain doesn't permit you to just run over to the edge of that building. It tells you to walk over very softly. Now, your face may say, oh, everything is fine, but your feet, they are very accurate. Uh, and uh, and you see it with children. You see it with children when you 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 say we're going to Disney World, and their feet become very happy <laughs> and, and start, yeah. start to move. Mm. And then all of a sudden, if you said, "Oh, but they're closed," and then you see their feet become very rigid. Uh, the feet are extremely accurate, and uh, we we certainly see it with couples where when couples have really good relationships, there will be a lot of foot touching and so forth. And one of the things that that I've I've worked with uh, clinicians who work with couples is that uh, we find that when people are having difficulties in their their marriage, um, they rarely touch their feet together. They, they, They almost immediately turn their feet away or move their feet. Um, they may, they may hold hands, but their feet, there's something about the feet that the brain says, um, this is the last, uh, uh, the last means of survival. And so we will distance them from anything that will hurt you. Uh, But what can be the reason that some people avoid eye contact, uh, Joe? You know, eye contact, 
Uh, I get many questions about eye contact. Mm. Uh, in fact, I wrote a, an article for Psychology Today on it. You can you can look it up. The eye contact is both cultural and personal, and it's also can be pathological. And and by that I mean. Um, People, for instance, on the uh, autism spectrum mm. disorder, um, they will avoid eye contact. Mm. And, and so we can draw no inference from that other than this person finds comfort in not making eye contact. Mm. Right? So, so that's in the pathological. There's something going on in the brain that doesn't per permit mm. it. In the personal arena, um, for instance, I'm very introverted, right? Are I, you? I'm, I'm very. I, I am. I'm a high-end introvert. I, I I don't like big gatherings. I'm very private. I I, I would rather be w with one rather than many. So my my energy comes from privacy, and so I tend to uh, look away as I talk, and I derive comfort. Hmm. In looking away now, some people may may think, well, you know, why is he breaking eye contact with me? It, it, this is just for comfort. Mm, I, I right? have the same. <laughs> I'm I'm doing yeah, the same. Yeah, we do it. We, we do it with friends. We don't sit there and look and say, oh, he's looking this way or that way. Um, and then it's cultural, right? So the the times that I have been to, for instance, Denmark and uh, and Norway. Uh, I notice on the streets how much people avoid making eye contact, right? But you go to um, Mediterranean countries and you have much more eye contact, much more. Um, and, and certainly in the Middle East, uh, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, um, there's even more eye contact. So this is cultural, right? Uh, and then you go to a city like in the United States, like New York, and and, and by social uh, agreement, you, you you can't look at somebody for very long. Uh, it's 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 under two seconds. And and if you look at somebody for for too long, they they say to you, "What are you looking at?" Right. <laughs> Just like Joey and, uh, you know, uh, it's so you have to consider all of that and say, where am I? Who is this person? Uh, why are they looking at me or why are they not looking at me? Um, I know that in the 1950s and 60s and even into the 70s, People were saying that if, if you talk to somebody and they avoid eye contact, it's because they're lying. Um, that's just not very accurate. That's um, that's uh, totally uh, uh, bogus. Yeah. Do you have the time for one more uh, question, uh, Joe? I know we're out of time. I, I, I have I have uh, I have time for one more oh, question. Yeah, superb. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> uh, and that is. Uh, uh, why and how should we look for restrained arm arm behavior? And I'm, I'm thinking about kids. 
So if I understand your, your question is, how, how do we use the, the limbic behaviors to our benefit? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, why should we look for uh, kids that uh, are restraining their arm behavior? Yeah, so, you know, we, we look at limbic behaviors, number one, because they're very accurate. And number two is, so if they're very accurate, um, when we look at children, um, we, we certainly should be able to see behaviors of happiness, contentment, um, and so forth. And those tend to be up and out, right? So happy children are reaching, their arms are moving, uh, and, and so forth. When we see behaviors of self-restraint, when they're hugging themselves a lot, then we have to ask ourselves, number one is, is there something causing this psychological discomfort? Is it internal or external? If it's external, is it because of the presence of somebody um, and, and, uh, and so forth? Or is it internal because they are, let's say, um, on, the, on the spectrum disorder? They, they would rather comfort uh, themselves. But one of the things that I've, that I've noticed, and, and you pointed out um, from the book, what everybody is saying in particular is that oftentimes I have studied children who are very playful and they're very animated in the playground, but the minute the parent comes into view or somebody maybe that has abused them, they change completely in their behavior. They become very self-restrained. And when I see that, I have to wonder what... Uh, what's going on in, uh, in, in, in that relationship. And I, there was a case, um, as you know, you read the book, where a child uh, that used to go to the same pool I went swimming at was very playful. But when the mother showed up, this child um, changed completely. And, um, and I felt I had to report that uh, because, uh, in one instance, I actually saw the mother grabbing the child by the ear and, and twisting wow. it. And I said, no, this is, this is very abnormal. And, uh, and it just made me sick. Um, and, uh, it made me sick to see this child change in the presence of this, uh, of this mother, uh, when there should have been happiness, uh, uh, there, there, there was none. And so there was an example of how accurate the limbic system is in uh, in reporting what a person is truly uh, feeling in that moment. Uh, do you have, and the final question: uh, Do you have three techniques that we can start to use from today that uh, you want to recommend, to Joe? Uh, well, I think the three things, uh, three takeaways that are useful is. Um, is become a better observer. Most of us are taught to look, but we're not taught to observe. In the same way that my dentist looks at my teeth and he can see how often I'm brushing my teeth and how healthy my gums are, I look at teeth and I'm just looking at them. 
my doctor observes them. I, I think, you know, if, if we have children, if we have family, if we manage people, I think we need to become better observers, mm. uh, number one. Number two is I think we need to self-educate ourselves and say, you know, this isn't the 1950s. There are now books um, that teach us how to read people and understand people. Well, why? More effective communication. We can be more empathetic. We can be more honest. We can discern things more quickly. You know, nonverbals is the only means of communication that occurs at the speed of light. Mm. Everything else is slowed down. Uh, so, and, and, and lastly, you know, go out and test this and say, you know, I was talking to this person and all of a sudden their foot turned away. And so I said, do you have to go somewhere? And they said, yeah, I do. Validate. That's called validation. Validate your observations. And so you become a more informed uh, observer. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Joe. I know you're a busy man. So fa fa thank it, you so much. It's my pleasure. I, uh, I hope uh, everybody enjoys this. And, uh, and thank you for the opportunity for, uh, for sharing my, uh, my little bit of knowledge.